Um, we're going to Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18 is our reading. It's on page 1090. You can follow along. Um, the, the context for this is in chapter 10, the second half of chapter 10, as Victoria mentioned, Peter has a vision, and in that vision he sees these foods come down from heaven three times, foods that he knows he's not supposed to eat. Uh, he's also told to go to the house of a Roman military officer named Cornelius and enter his house and eat a meal with him. And there's this confirmation of the vision. And then Peter, uh, what happens next is that Peter gets called, like I said, called into the principal's office, basically. And uh, my, my recollection of this is that uh, I have been called into the principal's office my freshman year in high school. Uh, I was goofing off in physics class. My teacher, who was really a really cool guy, uh, his name was Mr. Pack, and uh, he just kind of looked at me like, what are you up to? This isn't like you. You know how kids are, like on a certain day, they just, something's a little off. And so he said, you're going to the principal's office. And I was like, wow, this has never happened before. I was like half excited, you know. Here, I take this piece of paper. And uh, the principal, who knew my mom, you know, She's like, Hans Eric, what are you doing here? I'm like, I have no idea. I guess I've been bad. And she's like, don't keep this up. Don't, don't. So, and then she's like, I think you have to sit here for about 10 minutes, and then we'll send you back. And just straighten up and fly, fly right, basically, was the message. So, you know, we, we uh, show of hands who's been to the principal's office. Ooh, yeah, I can see it. I can see it. <laughs> Did you put your hand? No. Just, just Andres, yeah. Oh, yeah, you got, yeah. Yep. But what we're going to find in this reading, very fascinating reading, it puts insight into two really important aspects of the early church. One is the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. That's, that was still a live problem for the early church. Um, and the other is the the authority structure of the early church is somewhat on display here in a really fascinating way. So first, just to, just to give you a little bit of background, that the relationship between Jews and Gentiles in the early church was in a state of flux or in a state of transition because a very good problem that the early church had was even though it all started out with Jewish people, it attracted non-Jewish people to become converts into the church. And two things were happening at the same time. One was the church was slowly but surely being eased out of the synagogue because the differences between Christianity and Judaism were becoming more and more stark. And so there was this gradual exclusion from the synagogue. But what also was happening was the early church was therefore becoming more of a blend of Christians. All of them were Christians, but they were Jews and Gentiles in their background. And they had to try to mediate these differences. And a whole lot of the New Testament is about, actually, the mediation of these differences between Jews and Gentiles, even in the epistles of Paul, right? And so think about the Jews who grew up Jewish and became Christians, but they had all these traditions about feast days and about foods and about how to dress. And their question was, how much of this 
do we still need to keep because we're Christians? And then new people coming in like Gentiles, they were saying to them, how much do these Gentiles who didn't grow up with this need to conform to all of our old traditions? Where is the gospel in the middle of this? Where is where, what are the things that new believers who didn't grow up with Jewish customs, what Jewish customs do they need to follow? You look at the book, uh, the, the letter to the Galatians, that's almost what the whole thing is about, right? And it's tied up with the gospel, right? So that was a really challenging dynamic that the early church was working through even as this was happening. And we'll see a little bit more about that. So... Um, just to give you a little context, there's a book called Jubilees. It's what we call an apocryphal book, uh, but it was a book that informed the way Jewish people at that time thought about their world. It was certainly a book that they would have used. And this is how Jubilees chapter 22, verse 16 reads. And I want to read this to you because this would have been in the minds of people like Peter and James and other leaders of the church, people who grew up uh, Jewish. And this is how it goes, Jubilees 22, 16. It reads like this, And do thou, my son Jacob, remember my words. When he says Jacob, he means Israel, right? That's all of Israel. Observe the commandments of Abraham thy father. This is what it says. Separate thyself from the nations and eat not with them. Do not share a table with them. And do not do according to their works and become not their associate. For their works are unclean and all their ways are a pollution and an abomination and uncleanness. So tell us how you really feel, right? Don't mix with Gentiles. Don't eat with them. Don't walk with them. Don't be seen with them. There's nothing but trouble. It's like kind of what your parents tell you about some other kids. Like, don't, no, nope. Can't go to their house. Can't hang out with them. It's nothing good is going to come with it. And that's, that's what some of the people think. Can't eat with Gentiles can't be seen with them, can't follow in their ways, can't go to their feasts, can't go to their festivals. So they were missing, but as we understand that Jesus had come to bring a new way, and so it had put this early church into this tension of we grew up not mixing with outsiders, but Jesus did mix with outsiders, and he told us we should do the same. And he said, this gospel is for everybody, all the nations. And so what you'll see on display as we read is this challenge that the early church had. And it was about whether or not Peter should have gone to a Roman military's officer's house and shared a table with him. Interesting. So let's go to our reading. It's Acts chapter 11, starting at verse 1. And it reads like this. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord, nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. 
The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to the heavens again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ... Who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We ask that you would add your blessing to it. In Jesus' name, amen. First off, I want us to look a little bit at this question of the church structure that was going on at that time, because we would rightly think that Peter was really must have been the highest authority in this early church. He kind of was the leader of all the apostles. Now, interestingly, and we, we lack too much, informa- too much more information about this, but there's a good bet that also James was an important person in the church. And that James might have been a little bit more traditional than Peter. Because we read in Galatians that Peter was visiting Paul and he was eating with uncircumcised new believers. But that when James came, Peter held himself away from the uncircumcised believers and only ate with circumcised believers. And and, and then Paul had to confront Peter to his face and say, you are acting in contradiction to the gospel by the way you're having table fellowship right now. So we don't know, but there could have been two sort of poles of authority in the early church, Peter and James, but they were brothers. They were all disciples. The reality is that Jesus was perfect and he left behind a church made up of imperfect people. So I don't think we should assume that they all got along perfectly all the time. I don't think we should assume that they were right all the time when it came to doctrine and theology. They were learning. I think we do know that when the Spirit indwelt them, they were able to understand what Jesus wanted them to understand. But yet they were still fallen people, as we are. And so have you ever noticed that your church might make mistakes? Have you noticed that? This church never, but other churches out there, like the one one over there, that one for sure. You know, I know that one's made a lot of mistakes. By the way, it's the Baptist church over there on Grant Road. In case you're wondering which one I'm talking about. So, the other interesting thing is that even though Peter, I would say, was either number one or number two in the church, or between Peter and James, there were no other higher authorities in the church, yet Peter got called into the principal's office. Peter was questioned when he returned to Jerusalem after eating in the home of a Gentile. Isn't that interesting? 
that shows you actually maybe something good about the early church was that there was some kind of transparency and some kind of accountability and some kind of sense that even regular people in the church could question their leaders about something that they had heard and seek clarification. Is this a good thing? It is a good thing. We have a, a, a denominational magazine. It's called The Covenant Companion. And the most recent issue, there's an article, really good, I encourage you to look at it, about power and authority in the church and how sometimes power is used negatively in the church, but how power actually has to be exercised in a thoughtful and sort of uh, Christ-honoring way in the church. And there's these stories of people who have been in, say, parachurch organizations like a community development organization that uh, have a lot of covenant people in the leadership of, and even that organization it had a leader that was very autocratic, who blew up in anger at staff, who belittled them. They found it to be a toxic environment. And they, they, they finally had to speak up and say, we can't work in this environment. It's, it's toxic to our spirituality. And what this, one of them said is, it's almost like these years have been robbed of me and some of my joy of my faith has been robbed of me because here I was working for a Christian organization and yet the leadership of it was so angry and toxic all the time. And it's a fascinating thing. And so there's this kind of sense that organizations need to, need to really listen and be accountable and transparent. And if there's somebody at the top who's kind of blowing their stack all the time, that's an issue. That's a red flag. The other problem with that, as is, is you read of the article, is that in every organization that suffers from that for too long, there's another group of people who enable it. They hear the stories. And they go, oh, well, let's work. I hope they'll get better. Hope is not a strategy. You know this, right? Hope isn't a strategy. It's just a hope, right? Unless there's accountability, unless there's some kind of thing that says, no, you can't do that anymore. And if you do it again, then we have to have a conversation about whether you belong here anymore as a leader. You know, that's just got to happen. But there's enablers in every organization who kind of go, well, let's, let's not, th this looks bad, so let's not deal with it because it looks bad. Well, guess what? If you don't deal with it, it looks worse and worse and worse the longer it goes on. It's really a challenge. Anyway, you can read, about, read that article. What's encouraging to me is that the early church, at least when it started, some of those people in the early church thought they could go right up to Peter and say, give me an accounting of what you've just done. Praise God. Now, the, the shadow side of that Look at the very first verse, the shadow side of it. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. What's the first thing that they heard? The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God, period. Isn't that great news? You know, and it's like, oh, oh, forget the good news. Peter was eating with them. Like, are you missing Something here, here's this amazing news. The Gentiles received the word of the Lord. Yay! Nope, he ate with them. Bring him into the principal's office. Let's, let's give him detention or something. To be fair, let's say they said, give an accounting. Help us understand. The most charitable way is say, help us understand why you did this. Because everything we know from the tape that we grew up with, everybody has a tape, you know, you got a tape. Or maybe it's like an SD card now, right? I'm trying to get with the times, right? Everybody has an SD card of all the habits and traditions that you grew up with, right? And one of them was you don't eat with those people. 
And it's hard to differentiate my upbringing in the church from what the church actually believes. It's messed up, right? So they said, give an accounting. Um, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them, okay? Well, that's the real question, okay? Remember Jubilees? Don't eat with them. Don't associate with them. Don't do that. And what's sad is, is that this sense of table fellowship with the wrong people was more important to them than the conversion of some Gentiles, which really was the, was the headline. That was the headline. It got missed, right? It's like, by the way, Peter ate with the wrong people. Big headline. No. So what it does show, though, is table fellowship was very important. We talk about this a lot when we look at the Gospels. This is the complaint that the Pharisees have about Jesus. He eats with tax collectors and sinners. It's not just like a minor annoyance. This is a huge problem for the Pharisees. It's a huge problem for people in the early church, Christians, right? Now, why? Table fellowship is a public statement. It's public. You go into somebody's house, you eat with him, you are telling the whole neighborhood that I and my host are on the same level. We are equals with each other. We have the same amount of honor. We have the same, we share many things in common because we only eat with people like us. So Peter was saying, I have the same value as this Gentile, this Roman soldier. Now, you don't imagine a Roman soldier was thought well of, right? So this is a real problem. You have the same honor as them. You're just as important as them. You are, in some ways, you're validating the lifestyle and the life choices of the host who has invited you by going into their house. So this, do you see how this is a real problem? You know, you go into the wrong house, and it's going to rub off on you some way. I mean, you could look at it either way as, by going into that house, you're granting your host all of your social status. You're elevating them, perhaps. Or by going into the house of somebody who's a tax collector or a sinner or a Roman soldier, they're all very bad people in the eyes of some, that you have now brought yourself down to their level. And so how can the leader of the church be going into a house like that? What is he doing to the whole movement? The whole movement's at stake here. So it makes sense that they were, they were curious, is the nice way of saying, curious about what's going on. You know, straighten up and fly right. This, is, this isn't working out for us. So that is kind of the, the, the way the world kind of worked there, is that there's this guilt by association. I'm not sure we're 100% away from that, right? We are still judged by the company we keep. Is that true? And... In all logic, there is a bit of truth to it. Let's not say that that's not true. We are, we are social creatures, and we do tend to pick up the habits of the people we spend the most time with. But it's not true where Jesus is concerned. So we'll give you an example from Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house. Remember that? That's eating with the tax collector, right? This is a problem. But what does Jesus say? at Zacchaeus' house. Today, salvation has come to this house. So there's this sense that when Jesus does it, or when a follower of Jesus does it, 
they bring with them this righteousness that lifts the whole house to a new place. So the house doesn't rub off on Jesus. Jesus rubs off on the house. It's an important distinction. So Jesus upends that whole rubbing off thing. You're not brought down by the company you keep. You bring up the people that you spend time with, the people that you value. And that was true. Zacchaeus is like, from now on, I'm going to pay back everybody that I owe them. And I'm, anytime anyone I've cheated, I'm going to re, 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 reimburse them even more than I've taken. So there's this sense that Jesus is able to raise people up. And I think that's how we th- have to think about Peter's entry into this house. But aside from that, he was told to go there by the Spirit. He can't say no to that, you know. So the Christian message that Jesus is sending by the way he does table fellowship is that other people's dishonor does not rub off on you. You have the righteousness of God. It can't be taken away uh, from you. If anything, righteousness is always rubbed off from the more righteous to the less righteous, from Jesus to us. And, from, and not necessarily from us to other people, but Jesus in us can go with us even to the most disreputable places. Now, uh, that means you can go anywhere. Cross your fingers like this right now. Just kind of put it behind your back. You can go everywhere, anywhere in this world if you keep yourself pure. Now, I would, there's a list I could give you afterwards of places where I think you probably shouldn't go. Unless maybe you went with like 10 other people or something like that. Um, there's some dangerous pe- places where you probably shouldn't go, but then the Spirit might tell you to, so then you should, you know. Um, there might be some places where you might want to wait for some people to come out of and then talk to them. How's that sound? Is that good? They can't stay in there forever. Unless they can, I guess. Um, so you can go almost anywhere, but your conduct in those places has to be pure. But here's the catch. You will be misunderstood if you do. It'll cost you something. It may cost you some reputation. It cost Peter a bit of reputation for a while because the head of the church is called in to account for his actions. And I'm curious because it says that the news about this spread throughout all Judea and it took a few days for Peter to actually come back from Joppa to Jerusalem. And so what all was being said about Peter before he got back? Couldn't it be interesting, like a little fly in the wall? I heard, you know how stories grow? Like, well, I heard Peter did this. Well, I heard, you know, and it just, who knows? So luckily he came back and gave uh, this account. Here's what I think is really powerful. Is it's easier to have rules, like don't eat with those people, if they already reinforce some things that we hold back here that are not from God. If it confirms some of our lower instincts, right? So if I had a a law that it seemed to be from God that told me I can't eat in the house of somebody from a different race or who speaks a different language or who has different customs or who has different foods because other people's foods smell funny. Have you noticed that? Other people's foods smell funny. And you're like, ugh, my kids especially are like, what is that? Like, be polite, eat it. No. If they have other religions, right? Or if they're foreigners here as a result of an invasion and they're in an occupation and they don't belong in this country. This is maybe what they were thinking about Cornelius, the, the Roman military officer. All these things. He had like six strikes against him. 
And if we can cover that with a little bit of piety from God and say, don't mess with them, don't, don't be seen with them, then, then we, we can be really good at keeping that one rule because it feels good to keep that one rule. And, and always be careful of the rules that feel good to keep. Always be careful. Look at your motivation. There's a trap waiting in there. Be, be embracing the rules that are hard to keep. Those are the growth edges for you. Here's what happens next. Peter presents the story as it actually happens. It's actually a repeat of the second half of chapter 10. It's almost, it's almost funny how repetitious acts get in this point. But the, the purpose of that repetition is to really show that this is what happened, really show that the Spirit was involved. And here's what happened. Basically, is what Peter says. I had a vision that I could eat these foods, which means I could eat anywhere. And they had a vision that I, would gonna, I was going to come and, and, and talk to them, and they could find me in this place. And when my vision was over, they found me in this place. Wow, that's pretty good. Is that a coincidence? No. And then I was told by the Spirit to go to their house. And so we, I went, and I brought six of my brothers with So he had, he had six Christian brothers with him. That could all, that's half of a quorum of something, right? That's like enough to, to vouch, say, no, Peter's telling the truth, right? And I went to his house, and I, I yeah, I, I ate a meal with him because I'd been told this food is okay, and I was told to go into his house by the Spirit. I'm not going to tell the Spirit no. And what else happens? As they said, you have a word for us. I don't, we don't know what it is, but you have a word for us. You get the sense from how Peter describes it as, even before he could finish sharing the gospel with them. Because, of course, that's what the word is that he's supposed to bring, the story about Jesus on the cross. Even before he's able to finish telling them the gospel, the Holy Spirit descends upon these Gentiles. And if you read in chapter 10, it says they began to speak in tongues. And so Peter says, what, when he remakes this report, he says, what happens is, what happened to them is the same thing that happened to us at Pentecost. He can recognize it. He knows what it looks like. To him, this is an authentic outpouring of the Spirit. They start speaking in tongues. He's, he's not even done preaching the gospel. It's clear that this is a divine appointment. And so um, then they're baptized. They're brought into the fellowship that day all at once. And, and that's the headline, right? But it's not the headline for everybody. So Peter has to make it the headline. He has to come back and clear it up and say, this is the headline. Um, and what's great is that this is challenging the old tape, the old SD card, and is saying, yes, you have to unlearn all this stuff. This is kind of resurrection season. Jesus is making a new thing out of your culture. Jesus is making a new thing out of you. He's making a new thing out of the church. It's transitioning from being just Jewish people to being Jews and Gentiles living together in this complex soup that you kind of have to work through. You have to talk with each other. You have to figure out what the core of the gospel is and let the other stuff go. So this is challenging, but... Praise God, Peter was able to give a, an orderly account of what he did. And you look at verse 17. It's very fascinating. Um, no, sorry, uh, verse 18. 
It says this in the NIV. When they heard this, they had no further objections. But that where it says they had no further objections is just one word in Greek. The Greek word is, and I just wrote it here, is haisuchasan. And it means to sit in silence. So when he was done speaking, a more literal translation would be, they sat in silence. And what that means was, they had no other arguments to bring against this story. They were utterly persuaded by it. This is the spirit perhaps at work too, is that these people could have the death of their old customs and the resurrection into a new understanding of the relationship between Jews and Gentiles in the church and about dietary laws, which were so important to them. And they were able to, in a very short order, it seems, these people who were questioning Peter, part with a huge section of who they were. Does that make sense? It's like cutting off your arm, you know? It's a big deal. Give away, say you're 40 years old, and you've remembered for the last 35 years that we only eat a certain way and we only worship a certain way and we only mix with certain people. And in one afternoon, in the course of one story from the Apostle Peter, you kiss all that goodbye because the gospel, because the spirit, because Peter tells the story. And now you're ready because there's no further objections. They had no further objections. So this is a story that ends kind of sadly, right? They're missing all this great news. It ends on a much better note. They're part of the good news now. They're part of this renewal that's happening in the church. And so they say, wow, God has given the Gentiles repentance unto eternal life, or it says life, but it means eternal life there. And actually, you could say this should not have been a surprise because Jesus has preached it all along. But it was. And that's one of those things that the early church just keeps relearning and relearning. The gospel isn't just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. Wow, God has granted even the Gentiles salvation and repentance unto eternal life. Praise God. So I want to get to our challenge. What's the challenge for us in this? There's a challenge in us for this. I think you know what it is. I want to read Jubilees 22:16 again because I want this to sink in because I wonder how much we do this. My son Jacob, remember my words and observe the commandments of Abraham. Separate yourself from the nations and do not eat with them and do not do according to their works and do not become their associate because their works are unclean and all their ways are a pollution and an abomination and an uncleanness. Is this your tape? It's my tape, I'll be honest. They're in my mind. There's a group of people that I won't go near. I'm not proud of it. I'm not, saying, I'm not up here to say how great that is. I'm saying that's, that's the old tape. I'm saying the gospel hasn't come through to me all the way. And I, I could spend a lot of time, not right now, but I mean just in my own personal meditations on why that is and who exactly these people are. Um, but I wonder for us, what is it that you could do 
that would get you in trouble with the religious establishment, called into the principal's office, that could cost you your reputation. What is it that you could do? But it was still the right thing to do because you're bringing to the gospel to somebody who needed to hear it, right? Where is it that you would go? Who is it that you would talk to that would get you into trouble? I have some ideas. It might be people who have different views from you politically. It might be people in other religions. It might be people who have different lifestyles from you. And do we have to remember that just because you spend time with somebody doesn't mean that all their views and all their lifestyle rubs off on you? That's important to keep in, keep in context here. If you go in with the gospel and the grace of Jesus inside of you, and you're careful and thoughtful, then I think there's a good chance you can come out again as somebody who's still true to the gospel, right? Now, if you ever feel yourself drifting, right, then you want to pay attention. If you ever feel yourself drifting to be more like the people you're trying to reach than you are to yourself, that's a time to kind of step back. So there's value in spending time in, with people like you, of the same faith as you. That's what church is so good for. I'm glad you're here. I mean, we need this time together. This is important for us. It reinforces and validates what you believe. And it's, you believe the right thing. I mean, not the Baptists over there in Grant, but right here, this is really good stuff. You know? This is the right church. This is the right church for you. I'm kidding about the other church. This is a great church. But you, you need some fuel here so you can go out there. But the question is, is there a place you wouldn't go right now? Is there a place you're afraid to go? A person you're afraid to talk to? A person that you wouldn't have table fellowship with? Because by doing that, you're saying we're equals. And I'm validating all your life choices. At least it seems that way. And I'm seeing you as another person, an equal person in the eyes of God. And my reputation is going to take a hit if I'm seen with you. And I may have to give an account for it, but if the Spirit sent you there, you got nothing to apologize for. I want to take one minute. Anyone. Does anyone have a thought about this? Who would you talk to? Where would you go? And I want you to raise your hand and share it, if you're willing to. Because I think the Spirit could speak, even in a place like this. Who have you wanted to talk to, but you've been afraid? What place would you go? Yeah, Zach. Mm-hmm. Right. Good. That's huge right now, isn't it? It's a huge divide. I think that's exactly right. That's what I've been thinking. Just like we have people we don't see eye to eye with on all whatever political thing. And this fear that we're validating them just by talking to them. Right? Who else? That was really good, Zach. Yeah, Karen. I'll say a place that I went that I was interested Yes, yes. Um, when we were in Sudan, West Africa, the Hindu religion started in Sudan there, and we went into a priest, a Buddhist priest's house. And I, I really challenged myself, why are you going? Are you going for curiosity? Are you going? And I went with the thought of, I'm going to preach the gospel in this place. Yeah. And these were able to share with him. <clears throat> but that was 
Yeah, it's stacked up against you in a way to go into that other environment. Did you get any blowback uh, from yeah, from? Right. The Spirit does that, exactly. Did any, any other believers give you uh, question, questionable looks about that? Or? There, there were some. Mm-hmm. Right. Why'd you go do that? Yeah. But you had the answer. The Spirit told us to. The Spirit gives us the words. It's powerful, isn't it? It's powerful. Peter, Peter is just being obedient. Yeah. Were you raising your hand? No. Okay. Last one more, if there's time. If there's, yeah. This is good, isn't it? You know, the Lord, to be open to the Spirit, like Peter was. Um, I want to say that to live this way is kind of a freedom, right? As, As this sheet came down from heaven... And it wasn't just the sheet. It wasn't just about eating things, but it was also about movement. It was about, you can eat this stuff, but that means that now you can go to somebody's house that you would have never gone into before. Like half the world has now, that was closed to you, has now been opened up to you. So really it's about freedom. The spirit, being obedient to the spirit really is about freedom. And, and there's two kinds of freedom that I think are really great. One is that you you can be free from worrying about your reputation. You don't need to worry about that. You know, if you're following the Spirit and you're sure of that, you can make an answer about these reputational questions and you don't have to worry about that. You also can be free from the fear that that sin will rub off on you. You know, I mean, you can be careful, but you don't have to be fearful about it because if the Spirit sent you, you're going to have all sorts of protection in that place. I really think that. And then there's a freedom to do things, which is to embrace all people as God's children and all of them equally in need of the gospel. And that's a huge freedom because I don't want to look at the world as a group of people that I can talk to and that I can't talk to or won't talk to. And this is the growth that Hans Eric has to do is I want to start seeing the whole world as a group of people that I can talk to. I have to be thoughtful about it. I have to listen to the Spirit. But there's this freedom to reach and to go out to the whole world. And that's the reminder that there's nobody in this world, including the people we would rather not be seen with. Nobody. That's beyond the reach of God's mercy. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you. Lord, I'm really touched by how the people who asked Peter what he was up to, had a change in them. So, Lord, I pray for that renewal in us. And I also pray for the boldness of Peter and the obedience of Peter in us, that we might find the strength to go anywhere that you send us and speak to anyone that you want us to, knowing that you protect us and are with us. And so, Lord, I pray this blessing on us, that we would go out as people who follow in those examples. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.